It's June 28th, 2021. This is Rook. He is an outstanding Iranian-American neurologist and the founder and director of a comprehensive epilepsy center in New York. He's at the prime of his impressive career, and now Dr. Shaheen Nouri is also fighting for his life. He's been told he has three months to live unless he can find a stem cell donor, most likely from a fellow Iranian, to combat a rare form of lymphoma. His cause is shining a light on the underrepresentation of Middle Eastern people in stem cell banks, and Dr. Shaheen Nouri joins me for a feature interview to discuss his current plight, managing hope and fear, and his campaign to bring wider awareness to help others. This is Conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 122 of Rook. Hope you are keeping well. Wherever you are tuning in from around the world, Salom Dustan Aziz Durud. Hello from Toronto, Canada. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. Uh, it is there that you can link to all of our platforms. We're on an ongoing mission to build a, a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We are on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and CastBox. And if you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube or Instagram right now. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and Persian and Farsi, check us out on Telegram. Rook Media is the place on all of those platforms. I should note, Today's interview with Dr. Shaheen Nouri will be presented with Persian subtitles. So if you want to see Ziyanevi uh, Safarsi, Persian captions, or if you want to share the interview with someone who doesn't speak or read English, do so with the YouTube or Instagram version. Hello, the fabulous Keon. Hi, Jean. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm all right. Hello, Captain Reza. Hello, sir. And hello, Groovy Shia. Hi, Aziz. And a happy birthday to you again. Oh, thank you. Dearest thank Shia you. Aziza. Aziza, thank you very much. <laughs> Did you drink the entire bottle of whiskey I brought you <laughs> yet? Because I noticed you missed our Zoom meeting That's this morning. That's my tonight's plan, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I think all of us have been captivated by the story of Dr. Nouri, uh, not just how this amazing and honorable member of our global community is fighting for his life, but what this has exposed or what it is exposing for many of us um, who didn't know and should know uh, that minorities and Iranians in particular are desperately underrepresented when it comes to stem cell donations and some kind of accounting of available blood supply and type. You know, uh, This is a matter of life and death. We'll get into that with uh, Dr. Nouri in just a few moments. But I have to say, um, some of how this episode has happened uh, speaks to the beauty of the Iranian community around the world. You know, we often talk about our problems and our 
crises and Many. our yes, <laughs> our dysfunctions. Uh, and, and while that certainly exists when it comes to stem cell donor supply, um, the story of how we at Rook learned about Dr. Shaheen's uh, situation is I find it heartwarming. There are a group of classmates of Dr. Nouri from the Adventist School in Tehran. Have you ever heard of the Adventist no. School? So this uh, they were all together in the late 1970s. This is a group of friends that attended this North Tehran Midland High School where they say camaraderie was taught and practiced. And even though the group has dispersed around the world following the revolution and the subsequent school closure. They are all successful members of the diaspora. They're regularly keeping touch in a in a WhatsApp group. They live in the UK and the US and Canada and Switzerland, uh, some state in Iran. Uh, so one of the members of this group reached out a few weeks ago to tell me about Shaheen's situation, Dr. Nori's situation. And I just think it's really beautiful. These high school friends who are still in solidarity 40 years later and standing by one of their own, they're this, still this close-knit community that have kept in touch. And, and I guess today more than ever, uh, they support and salute Shaheen's cause. So a shout out to the group from the old Adventist school in Tehran uh, who are spreading the word, not just to, to save Shaheen's life, but to try to fix this stem cell bank issue, which we'll get into in our community as well. Yes, such a unique name, Adventist. Oh, Adventist. Adventist. Yes. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, yes, think of uh, adventure and dentist put together, <laughs> Shai, Shai, if you need Adventist. to remember that word. Um, yeah, you know, and it sounds a little dry, this stem cell bank issue. If you're listening to this going, on, am I going to find this interesting? Um, I'm, I, I, the more I learn about this and the more I learn about the underrepresentation of, mm. uh, of us, of people. We talked about, a bit about this on the last show. Uh, you know, as much as we may want to consider Iranians, we're just like everyone else. We're, <laughs> we're white people or whatever we, you know, some people like to say. A big part of our genetic makeup mm -hmm. is ethnicity. And so when it comes to when the chips are down and you need a blood transfusion or a bone marrow or stem cell, you know, you have to find somebody of similar, in many cases, similar ethnicity for it to work. Mm -hmm. And that means you have to be able to find them. And that means there has to be a supply. Yeah. And if none of that exists in the case of Iran, um, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, yeah. you know. So we'll get into some of that. Uh, speaking of doctors, Thursday on our program, it's Canada Day. Any yes. big plans for Canada Day? Uh, speaking I mean, of doctors. Yeah, I was, I was like, where's he going to go? Well, no, it's a Dr. Reza <laughs> yeah. Moradi. Now he's asking up. about my plans. I was like, what am I missing here? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I meant our guest for Thursday is Dr. Reza Moradi. Yeah. But uh, also, uh, yes, when I think of doctors, of course, I I'm think getting of a haircut. various people you date. Oh, so we can actually get haircuts starting right. Wednesday. Isn't that wonderful? That's right. These salons are opening <laughs> yes. up in, in Ontario and Canada. Uh, your plans, by the way, for Canada Day are to do a Canada Day show. Oh, right. Yes, yeah. that's right. That's your answer. <laughs> and that. <Yeah. laughs> she remembers the haircut. Not oh, doing no. it. I mean, I was planning on calling in sick. Uh, Dr. Reza Moridi will be our feature guest for the Canada Day. Uh, that's our version of um, uh, Independence Day, Day yes. or... Uh, uh, I don't know. Basti. What's that? What's yeah. the Iranian the national? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The yeah, the, the, the <laughs> I think of Nowruz, but that wouldn't be the. Yeah. No. That's New Year's. What's yeah. what's uh, is there a yeah. national day? What is it? I mean, after revolution, the Hay Fajr becomes the. Like, okay. 
for we have Freedom yeah. Day here. It's probably anti-Freedom <laughs> Day there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dark joke. Like, yeah, joke. Okay, Dark I know. Joke. I'm sorry. But so Dr. Reza Moridi was the first politician of... Uh, I mean, at a high level of Iranian descent in North America, and he was—he was, he was uh, an MPP here in mm-hmm. Ontario, that became a cabinet minister in the Ontario government. Uh, so he will join us for his story and also um, his experience as a bicultural human. I mean, he couldn't just represent Iranians when he's a, mm-hmm. you know, in the cabinet of the Ontario of government. He has to represent uh, uh, all Canadians, all Ontarians. So. We'll talk to him about all that. Happy to have him in studio for our Canada Today show on Thursday. Behzad Boulour coming up in the coming days on uh, on Rook. Tara Tiba and uh, I don't even know if I should announce this, but I think if I announce it, we might get some people telling us who they think we should uh, we should book. We're going to do a series oh. on the importance, the evolution, and the story. Of black cats, mm. yes. <laughs> so the good. musical group Black yeah. Cats. Yeah, because as I've found out, I mean, this may be you guys, you kids growing up in uh, where did you grow up? Yazd? What was it? <laughs> yeah, that's right, Shiraz. Uh, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Putting ketchup right. on your pizza. I don't know what you people do. No, as I've learned, see, I thought Black Cats was just one group. From the 80s, I had some record and that they've evolved a little bit. Turns out Black Cats have been around. It's a brilliant, the genius of Chapel Chaparre, yes. starting back 40, 50 years ago and developing this group, which kind of forms a spine mm-hmm. of Iranian pop music, popular music for the last few decades, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> one of the, this fun fact: one of the first concerts I ever went to in, like, an Iranian concert was Black Cats. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, see, there's different the iterations 90s. of Black Cats. That's right. So we'll get to how how this came together, who's been in Black Cats, the importance and the influence of Black Cats, mm-hmm. where Black Cats are at today, yeah. uh, and so we're going to do a series on this coming up later in the summer. Yeah, I, I remember when we had this show in uh, Los Angeles. Shahbal came to our show and. We said that Dang Show when you Dang Show, Dang yeah. show had a show. Yeah, yeah Dang yeah. Show. Yeah, sorry. And uh, Shahwal came to our show, and we said on the stage that uh, the uh, model of Black Cats is actually role model for our band because we also change mm. change our singers and our members, but we try to keep the whole idea of the band. Right. But yeah, and that's it. Very similar, you guys. Just as successful as Black Cats. <laughs> <Yes>. Dang Show. <laughs> I kid. We love Dang Show. Uh, hey, if you want to become a patron of Rook and support us, we do our, this program through crowdfunding. Rookmedia.com. You go to the Support Us button. And for 5 or $10 a month, you can become a patron and support this program. We really appreciate that. Or even more per month if, it's, if you uh, wish to. It's there on the, on the website. Uh, we appreciate anything that you want to do to help this program. By the way, we've got some letters about our last couple of episodes. That's right. right. Yeah. And, and not just our last couple of episodes, but you were saying about the, the Rook Funnies. Yeah, the Persian pizza ah. post that we put up. I think we just put that up yesterday, but yeah. it's uh, causing a bit of a stir. Uh, 
uh, our story about uh, me not understanding. Still, I still don't get it. By Catch the way. up I still on. Enough people have explained it to me. I don't understand the Persian pizza, <laughs> smothering the Persian pizza with ketchup. We'll get to all of that after our feature guests, Captain Reza, Groovy Shia, the fabulous Keon. Stick around. Let's get to our feature guest today. He is an outstanding neurologist and the founder and director of the Comprehensive Epilepsy Center at the New York Presbyterian Brooklyn Methodist Hospital. Dr. Shaheen Nouri was born in Tehran in 1963. At the age of 23, when he was a medical student at University of Tehran, he was diagnosed with a malignant tumor. He moved to Germany to complete his treatment. After a successful battle with cancer, he continued his studies in medicine in Germany, obtaining his medical degree. He then moved to the United States for his specialty in neurology. He is certified by the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology and the American Board of Clinical Neurophysiology. He also pursued a subspecialty in epilepsy and created an epilepsy center at New York Presbyterian Brooklyn Methodist. Unfortunately, currently, Dr. Nori is involved in a campaign to save his life. He is suffering from a rare and aggressive form of lymphoma, as well as severe immunodeficiency, and his only hope of survival is a stem cell transplant from the blood of a healthy, compatible donor. And that has to happen within the next three months. That donor is most likely to be found among Iranians, as ethnicity plays a major role in our genetic makeup. Right now, Dr. Shahin Nouri joins me from New York City today. Hello, sir. Greetings. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for uh, uh, making our message public. You know, um, Shahin John, this is a tough one today because you are more than worthy of an interview based on your career alone and the remarkable things you have done as a doctor and hospital founder. Uh, you're still just in your 50s and you are a source of great pride for our global community. Uh, but of course, I have to ask you about your health and this campaign around stem cells as well. So you'll forgive me if we get into that. Uh, of course. First and foremost, how are you feeling these days? Uh, I'm feeling okay, thank you. I'm between two courses of chemotherapy, and um, the first few days after chemotherapy is a little bit tough, but then you regenerate, and um, currently I'm ready to go back to the hospital for the next course of chemotherapy. How are your spirits? Good, good. Now for multiple reasons. Um, you know, I was diagnosed about one and a half year ago, and at that point the tumor was uh, already stage 4B, uh, so it was pretty advanced. Uh, it is a rare form of uh, what they call the T-cell lymphoma uh, that involves mainly the skin, uh, but also the lymph nodes, and in my case, also the lungs. Uh, a few months ago, I was also diagnosed with a second line of uh, lymphoma, so that made the treatment very complicated. As of last month, uh, the treatment was switched from uh, immunotherapy to chemotherapy. Um, no, I don't mean to be in, insensitive. I, surely this, this, this question comes out of my own ignorance. But, uh, you know, in terms of the, the time you've been given, uh, uh, you know, left on this planet, I mean, you, you, you appear, uh, you clearly are sharp, you're talking well, you, you, you don't look so bad. If I look on your Instagram, you, uh, I know you had some kebab earlier today. Uh, um, <laughs> so it, it's almost shocking to know that you've been given this sentence where they say you have a 
about three months unless uh, um, unless you you get the right donor for the stem cells. Um, it's it's a bit paradoxical. Is this something that um, we don't see, but you're feeling? Is it something that is going to suddenly creep up on you? What what, what uh, is it? Exactly. Unfortunately, the nature of cancer is uh, mainly uh, it's unpredictability. Uh, so there are tests um, that show the extent of the cancer. One of them, which is commonly used for many types of cancer, is called a PET scan, P-E-T scan. And that shows the uh, metabolism of the cancer cells. And that, in me, is quite advanced. So the tumor mainly is in lymph nodes all over the place in my body. Some of them, I know it might sound a little bit gross, but the one under my axilla was as large as an apple. So the mass of the tumor in my body has grown uh, significantly. Uh, the other aspect is lymphoma as uh, the cancer of the uh, lymphocytes from the blood uh, is a very wide range of conditions. Those, the particular kind that I have notoriously doesn't respond to chemotherapy. So with chemotherapy, you can suppress it for a few months, but sooner or later, it sort of like breakthrough breaks through and becomes uh, resistant to chemotherapy. And the goal of the current treatment is to suppress the tumor to a certain extent, basically as far as they can, and at that point do the uh, transplantation of uh, donor cells from uh, the blood, uh, as you said, of a healthy donor to my body with the hope that these cells establish a new immune system. So not only it will help with my immune system, but also it eradicates the rest of the cancer cells mm. and basically gives me a new life. Is it, uh, I, I'm going to get into your story just before I do, is it? Is it odd to be at the center of social media attention and doing a bunch of media and interviews like this? It is, it is. Uh, about three, four weeks ago, as uh, I was battling the thoughts of, well, what's my future? Should I really pick up this fight? Um, is it worth all the pain and hassle? Then I thought, um, as we're going, I'm sure, to discuss later on, one major issue is that the uh, minorities, in particular, people from Middle East and Iran, are extremely underrepresented in the registries for bone marrow and uh, uh, stem cells here in U.S. and uh, basically in all Western countries. So I thought to myself, why don't I go public? Why don't I make a case out of it? If a donor is, an optimal donor is found for me, I would be honored. But uh, otherwise, at least we can increase the awareness and educate people. And basically, uh, people of Iranian and Persian descent, they have to help themselves. Nobody else is out there to right. uh, find uh, cells for us. <laughs> so I'm hoping that this way also, uh, hopefully, we can be helped with the lives of many other Iranians. Well, I mean, for that alone, many, many of us are, are so grateful for what you're doing. Uh, uh, w w let's come back to that. Let me ask you a bit about your story and, and let people get to know you a little bit, and then we'll come back sure. to the current moment. You've said your interest in medicine was implanted in you. <laughs> I like the medical <laughs> term, implanted in you from early childhood. Uh, uh, tell, tell me a bit about why you were fated to study medicine and become a doctor. Uh, well, my my dad was always um, obviously a role model. Um, he spent many many hours working every day, and um, in particular in 
southern areas of Tehran, he had a very, very busy practice and was seeing dozens and dozens of patients every day. And also over the weekend in a village north of Tehran, he would be seeing patients. He was a doctor? So, he was a surgeon? What, what did he do? What did he, do? Uh, he was actually a skin doctor, a dermatologist. Uh -huh. So sooner or later, I, I became interested, and those days, um, patients, HIPAA or uh, privacy laws, <laughs> obviously, were not very strong. So I would go with him with, in his practice, uh, into his practice, and see patients with him. And uh, that really uh, sort of like impregnated in my mind uh, another medical word, obviously. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're good with this, the, the lexicon, yes. <laughs> In how really the, the job of medicine, the purpose of medicine is serving people. Although people might go into um, medicine for different uh, reasons, but uh, this, this remains the holy grail and um, should be foreground for everybody involved in patient healing. Hmm. Well, now I'm going to mention this because I'm, I know you're probably far too modest to say this yourself, but because, as you know, I know a couple of people who actually know you personally uh, and grew up with you. You were uh -huh. you were one of the top students um, uh, in your cohort in Iran. Uh, and actually, we don't even need that anecdotally. I mean, there's thankfully Iran ranks these things and you were actually number four <laughs> in the country. I mean. Uh, so you're 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 going to be a doctor, and then fate intervenes, or or your health intervenes at the age of 23. What happened at the age of 23? Actually, I turned out uh, to find the tumor myself. So, as a, a curious medical student, I'm having some blood tests, and there was a discrepancy in compared to previous blood tests. So I'm looking at medical texts, and they say uh, you have to rule out a, a lung tumor. So I'm running to the Department of Radiology and ask the technicians kindly, could you please get the chest x-ray from me? And there it was, a tumor the size of a fist sitting between the two lungs. And um, brought the x-ray directed to my uh, attendings, a chest surgeon uh, whom I had worked with closely and I really believed in his work. And he agreed that it's a tumor and uh, we should have the surgery done as soon as possible. So it turned out to be a rare kind of tumor as well. And it was growing in the thymus, which is the center for uh, immune system in the chest. So that might have been also partially the reason that my immune system since my childhood was not very uh, well developed. Uh, to make it short, after, after it was removed, it was found to be a very malignant, aggressive tumor. Mm. Um, so that I needed six months of chemotherapy. And um, those days, unfortunately, in Iran, our access to chemotherapeutic agents uh, during the war with uh, Iraq was right. limited in right. Iran. I was going to say, it's so, probably mid-80s at that point, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So the best uh, uh, choice was to uh, go to another country, and Germany was advanced in cancer treatment, but also not too expensive for me as a poor student who would... Um, uh, try to find his way through <laughs> life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I underwent six months of chemotherapy in Germany before I was declared cancer-free. Yeah, you beat the cancer, and you end up um, coming to the States, and you complete a specialty in neurology and a subspecialty in epilepsy. Why epilepsy? 
Um, well, I find it fascinating, the, uh, among other uh, sub-areas of uh, neurology, epilepsy has always been fascinating to me. Uh, it's a, a sophisticated situation with abnormal electricity of the brain causing seizures. Uh, basically, there are no two patients similar and there are no two seizures similar. The other aspect of epilepsy that I like is the fact that patient has a seizure and then goes more or less back to their baseline. So we have time to intervene and hopefully uh, prevent uh, future seizures as opposed to a lot of other areas of neurology, uh, for example, stroke, where damage to the brain is done and basically that won't be reversible. When you found a... Uh, a center, a, a wing of a hospital that I mean that deals with epilepsy. Is that to suggest that there wasn't one before? Correct. So there was only one technician who was doing uh, electroencephalogram at a limited capacity. So when I joined, I needed to convince the hospital to invest um, about six hundred thousand dollars in this project, and um, I had to learn how to come up with a business plan to show the hospital. Not only it will improve patient care, but also financially would be feasible for the hospital and then hire more people, uh, hire more doctors and uh, ex expand the center to the point that currently there are four physicians working with it and about 10 technicians and administrators uh, uh, running the center. And you've affected thousands of lives of folks who have epilepsy. I, I, you've called this your pride and joy. Um, can you ref reflect on that for a moment? Well, for me as, as a physician, uh, or not necessarily as a physician, but as a human being, the biggest joy is to see a patient whose seizures are well controlled. Uh, seizures not only can be life-threatening, but they can affect the quality of life immensely. Um, and uh, even if not life-threatening directly, but can, because of their mortality, decrease the life expectancy of many patients. And uh, to see that in a modern fashion, we can uh, influence that uh, has always been heartwarming for me and remains to be uh, my pride. <laughs> Well, I mean, you've certainly been uh, busy and, and successful and productive. So I can, I'm guessing that since beating cancer when you were 23 in the mid-80s, until this latest last couple of years, would it be fair to say that you were relatively healthy for the last 30, 35 years? True. Yes, sure. I was. In other words, that this was a bit of a surprise then? Absolutely. So I had another skin condition called psoriasis, which is not quite unrelated to the problem with regulation of the immune system, um, which is related to the lymphoma as well. So the lesions that the lymphoma was causing on my skin were mistakenly interpreted as my psoriasis lesions. <sighs> so by the time it... Um, uh, changed in nature and uh, a biopsy was done uh, from the same lesions that were around for a couple of years, the tumor um, unfortunately was in very advanced stage. So, and this is about a year and a half ago when you're diagnosed Correct. with this rare form of lymphoma. Um, exactly. How did you, I, I guess you find out from a, a doctor that tells you, uh, uh, that uh, that tests you and tells you, oh, it's this is a, this is not, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's a it's the kind of thing that we all dread hearing, uh, and yet you're a doctor who has 
probably had to say these kinds of things to patients over the years. So how did you cope with it when they first told you? Well, the first reaction is to find, uh, for me at least, to find the best uh, opportunity for treatment. Psychologically, I've, I felt I don't have time to waste on emotions. Right now, I have to find the best possible treatment options. So uh, I established a relationship with Memorial Sloan Kettering here in New York. And they are probably, if not the best, one of the best centers in the world for treatment of cancer. And fortunately, there was a uh, specialist who was specialized in this particular kind of uh, cancer, i.e. T-cell lymphomas. Uh, But a cancer diagnosis, as you said, is is always very difficult uh, because it affects one's life, uh, one's mortality becomes alive. And it was in front of my eyes all the time. I have worked with therapists. I have worked hard on controlling this uh, uh, or dealing with these uh, emotions, but it's known to go through the 12 stages of grief. You know, having a direction for the treatment and seeing results, obviously, is always helpful. So at yeah. least now I know the direction is doing the chemotherapy and um, hope for the best with a uh stem cell transplantation. Let me come back to the emotions. Let me ask you about, so three months ago, again now, you were diagnosed with a second form of advanced rare lymphoma. What what does that mean? So uh, the lymph nodes um, in my body were not responding to the treatment of the first uh, tumor as expected. So they ended up doing uh, biopsies, multiple biopsies and looked at it under microscope and um, unfortunately for some unknown reason the second tumor in this time included b cells Mm. so basically all lymphocytes in my body was affected by either of these tumors sorry you're going to get used to talking to me like i'm a six-year-old but where where are the because i want to ask these questions there are also people listening from around the world who may not know all of these things as intimately as others do like uh, i certainly don't where are all the lymph nodes in our body um so the lymph nodes have a couple of functions one is the flow of lymph uh so lymph is basically the fluid that is uh getting out of the capillaries into the tissues and if there's an infection in the body, in say in the leg, uh, the white cells exit the, the bloodstream and go attack the source of infection, like an abscess, for example. And then from there, the lymph lymphatic system collects them back into the ah. uh, bloodstream. So lymph nodes are basically relay stations for the lymphatic systems. And they are in uh, certain areas, the neck, the axilla under the arm, the groin, and um, those are the main areas that are conglomerates of lymph nodes. Just to give you an example of what happens in a cancer like this, the normal size of a lymph node is somewhere between a green pea and um, something smaller. But in my case, some of them have been as big as uh, a walnut or an apple. So that shows the mass of the tumor that has been growing inside them. So, 
I want to get to this place where we need to talk about the stem cell banks and 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 ethnicities. But but can you very simply? And I'm sorry to make you do all this the, all the work here, but you are a doctor. Sure. So uh, <laughs> what, what what does it mean to get a stem cell transplant? And is is it basically an, a blood transfusion? Is that what it, I mean? What is it? What is a stem cell transplant? So the older science uh, or technology that has been uh, in existence is bone marrow transplant, where the patient's cancer cells are eliminated as much as possible with chemotherapy and radiation. And then uh, pieces of the bone marrow of a designated volunteer would be removed surgically and implanted uh, into the bone marrow of the patients. And this way, those cells would be transferred. About six, seven years ago, the uh, technology of transferring only the stem cells, or as we say in Farsi, uh, was developed. And in this technology, instead of a surgical uh, series of procedures to remove bone marrow, uh, the volunteer is given a medication to mobilize these particular cells, uh, stem cells that are known to proliferate and develop into various cells for the immune system. So these cells are mobilized from the bone marrow and then through a process of uh, about six to eight hours of sort of like a blood transfusion and ultrafiltration. So the blood is taken from one arm and these cells are, these particular cells are removed from the blood and then the rest of the blood given back to the through the other arm uh, back to the patient. Uh, so at the end of six to eight hours, a small bag of uh, stem cells is collected. And then um, this uh, nonprofit foundation called uh, Be the Match would inter- would arrange all these things and uh, carry uh, somebody would basically hand carry these blood cells as fresh as possible to the hospital where the patient is located. The match uh, depends on what? So, very good question. Um, So, there are a couple of um, genetic markers that the immune system uses basically to identify itself and identify uh, non-quote non-self so that it knows the non-self either bugs or cells from outside or cancer cells inside the body do not carry that typical, basically, password. So these are called HLA molecules, and um, basically there are the basic uh, system of identification identifies four molecules, and every person has two versions of those four molecules. So basically there are eight particular genes uh, that uh, identifies our HLA, uh, each one of those eight genes has many different variations. That's why the combination of these eight genes wow. causes yeah. um, basically unlimited uh, various um, possibilities. Yes. So for someone to be a perfect match for um, transplantation, uh, theoretically an eight out of eight match, where eight of those molecules are similar, would be preferable. Uh, in my case, unfortunately, not a, it is, um, no optimal donor was found. Therefore, um, as we still have a few months' time, we are hoping to uh, expand that opportunity, uh, hoping that maybe a, an optimal match would be fine for me, but also another aspect that would come out of it is obviously expanding the 
pool of the volunteers. Bank. Yeah, for, yeah. So, so why? What you know? There's this distinction, this delineation that I and I mentioned this on the show last week, where I said we're looking for a donor between the ages of 18 to 44 in the United States, 18 to 35 in Canada, for example. Why? Why is that? Is the uh, uh, if I'm over the age of 44, am my blood no not good enough anymore? <laughs> why? Why does it? <laughs> why do the youth win this one again? No, I know, but that what? Is what? What, what is the age requirement? So, um, you know, these cells are uh, in the bone marrow, they are proliferating very, very fast. And each time that cells are proliferating, they are more prone to develop mutations. Uh, so as we age, the number of possible mutations in these cells gets higher and higher. And this is the general concept that with age, the chances of any kind of cancer increases, including all the uh, blood cancers. So the idea of limiting it to a certain age is to decrease the odds of the cells coming from a healthy donor being on the way for mutations and developing a new blood disease oh, right, like leukemia right, right. or anemia in the recipient. Right, right. So let, let me ask you about this, where Iranians come in here. And you, you know, this program is predominantly uh, focused on, on people of Iranian background around, uh, around the world. Uh, this notion that there's more likelihood of you finding a match um, coming from an Iranian person of Iranian background, how, how does, uh, again, if you can do this simply, how does ethnicity play into genetic factors when it comes to something like stem cells? So those HLA molecules that we were talking about, um, the more uh, diverse the ethnicity becomes, the more obviously multiplied diverse also the number of possibilities would be. So people of similar ethnic background have a more similar gene pool as opposed to people who has been far away and not mingled with these uh, populations. Therefore, the odds of finding a match in uh, people of Iranian and Persian descent, as well as close ethnicities like Turks, Kurds, and Arabs, might be much higher as opposed to, for example, a person from uh, China or... Uh, a Danish Georgia. person or something. Yeah. Exactly. And unfortunately, as for the registries we have in North America, if you look at the statistics, a person, uh, a white person from European descent has about 77% chance of finding the right match. Whereas an African-American person uh, has only 20% chances. And why is that? Why are minorities and, underrepresented in stem cell banks? Well, um, I guess it's it might be a cultural thing, but also it's just a question of numbers. As for people from Middle East, it's only less than 1%. Uh, from the whole Middle East represented in North American registries. I think it might be some, uh, my personal feeling is it might be a cultural component. Uh, you know, Middle Easterners, as long as they're dealing with wars and insecurities of daily life, uh, would think less of, let me go today yeah, and donate some <laughs> 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 I mean, it's it's a kind of luxury, right. the whole idea of uh, uh, donation of organs, of blood cells, and so on. So, when we talk about the the registries, by the way, it is 
uh, I'm assuming that with these with these um, um, factors factored in the age and the uh, ethnicity, etc. It doesn't matter where the person is in the world, does it? I mean, if, if somebody uh, you can find a match with somebody who's listening to us right now in Australia or in 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 Dubai or in in uh, Sweden, or do they have to be in North America? No, no, absolutely anywhere in the world. So again, this foundation, uh, bethematch.org, on my behalf and on the behalf of every other patient, obviously does a search that includes most of international um, data banks uh, connected. And if a person is found, say, in Germany, that would be a good match for someone in New York. Um, this company, Be The Match, takes over all logistic and financial responsibilities, sends someone, brings that person to the closest well-equipped hospital for those cells to be removed, and somebody hand-delivers them fresh to the hospital of where the patient lives. Unfortunately, one caveat here is that uh, Iran does not have any similar systems built. So not only people from outside can be helped with, but also Iranians inside the Iran cannot be helped by the lack because of the lack of a an informatic system that keeps this patient people. Well, well, I, I, I found this quite shocking when I heard this. There's no stem cell bank in Iran. I mean, how how difficult is it to create one, and why do you think there isn't one already? Correct. One of the biggest hospitals in Tehran was supposed to have a, a huge uh, stem cell. Uh, as as we heard. So my sister who lives in Tehran actually went and spoke with the head of oncology in that particular hospital. And they said, we basically have enough to help patients who are admitted in our hospital. And the way they would be helping with that patient, um, for example, if I were admitted in the hospital, in this particular hospital, uh, they have a limited number of um, uh, stem cells available to them and if they don't find a match they tell the person's uh, relatives and friends and family uh, bring as many people as you can to do NHLA testing and if by any um, chance by any draw of luck there is an um, op- optimum, uh, optimal donor among those people then that's where they get their stem cells from whereas when all these people are having the HLA typed, then it would be just a question of having an informatic yeah, uh, system, yeah. a computer system to keep that data. Yeah. And next time that uh, somebody comes and needs the HLA and this HLA typing was kept in the data bank from two years ago, they would just reach out to that person in the in another city and say would you like to donate some blood now and help save somebody else's life so so just so, to just to put a fine point on this in a country of 80 90 million people in Iran right now the majority of whom by the way are under the age of 44 um, there's no real infrastructure to find out if we can find your match right now that's what you're telling correct. me correct i mean this is heartbreaking apparently until a few years ago uh the uh, equivalent to the Red Cross uh, Blood Transfusion uh, Institute had a blood bank uh, slash bone marrow uh, center, which was recently closed, we found out. So it's basically in the hand of a couple of uh, very few hospitals that have that possibility, but their opportunities to help people is extremely limited. 
It's 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 very demoralizing. Um, True. That you, you know, if you if if I can just add a sociological sidebar to this, I, I I mentioned this on the show the other day, but I find this really interesting. This kind of data because, um, you know. Especially, I mean, maybe this is just more apparent to me doing a program about Iranians in the diaspora. But some Iranians like to suggest, Shainjan, uh, that we that we're not a minority, or that we're just like everyone else, or we're sefid, or we're white people. This, you know, when it comes to when the, when the chips are down here and we're dealing with a medical issue, this seems like proof that in the in the DNA pudding that would be that that their ethnicities are truly different, and that we as Iranians do have a particular genetic makeup that uh, creates a connective tissue with each other, yes? Very true, very true. As any other ethnicity would do. Thank you for, for all that you're teaching us about this. And and um, I, I'm going to repeat the, the, the websites and the, and the places that uh, people can go to, to try and uh, help in general, if, if not only to, uh, with you in mind as well. Uh, but but let, let me just ask you a couple of uh, personal questions before I let you of go. Course. Um, you know, I, I don't even know how to come up with um, sophisticated language for this. If, if I can just say this in plain terms, you, you know, w- what does it feel to, to be told that you have three months to live? Um, you have to keep up the hope. Uh, if I don't believe in finding a way to heal, then it, uh, even if it happens, I might be undermining my odds. So I have to keep a positive energy. And, you know, I've been I've been a fighter all my life. Um, I was also diagnosed with polio at age four. Uh, so since age four, I have learned mm. to uh, make the best out of it. And basically, you have no other choice. When, when it comes to that, uh, you want to hope for the best and put up your best uh, fight and uh, push forward. There's no other option. Earlier, you talked about therapy and compartmentalizing your emotions, um, to you managing them. How, how do you do that? Um, you know, actually, probably compartmentalizing the emotions is is a bad strategy the uh, therapy has been has been a blessing for me um, throughout the past couple of years uh, the idea is to be able to help to deal with the emotions as opposed to uh, you know push them under the carpet the fact that one's identity remains intact and uh, as if a person is a ship in in a storm, uh, the waves come and go over you and these emotions have to dealt with. But you always know that there will be a better day and uh, also this wave will pass. And all you need to do is deal with it, uh, hope for the best. When the new day comes, you embrace it. Um, that probably works better than compartmentalizing. And um, I've, I've t- I personally have needed a long time to <laughs> learn to do that. Um, I also do transcendental meditation, and that helps a lot with relaxing the mind. But at the end of the day, uh, fighting cancer is an existential threat to our our being, and um, it's it's never easy. Are you scared? Of course, of course, I am scared. Um, especially now that it feels I'm entering the end game, 
but um, there is a sense of relief as well because uh, now I know what I'm dealing with. It's either 100% or none. I'm just going for 100%. Do you plan each day in a, a different way than you would have a couple of years ago? Um, you know, unfortunately, the physical uh, state of the body uh, has a lot to say about that. So one day I might be feeling pretty well, and next day I, I need to spend most of the day in bed with no energy or deal with um, different aftermaths of the chemo and mm -hmm. before that immunotherapy. Mm -hmm. Part of that is not under my control. and I have learned to just go with the flow to some extent. Uh, so every day is different, and every day... Um, requires a uh, readjustment of the resources and the mood. <laughs> mm. You know, I knew someone, um, uh, I know someone who was dealing with uh, something similar um, a few years back, and, and he had said to me that um, the hardest part of this, uh, or one of the hardest parts for him at least, was um, not necessarily dealing with himself, but dealing with those around him. Um, you know, managing the emotions of <laughs> of the people around him who are uh, constantly, you know, uh, reacting in in ways that he felt that he needed to manage. Do you do you find that to be true? Very true. Very true. Um, my my brother and my sister they live. Uh, my sister lives in Tehran, and my brother lives in Houston. I fortunately have a close uh, net of cousins and. Um, other relatives who have been an immense uh, support with me along my friends. When um, we decided to go public and start this campaign, uh, I have asked about 20 family members and friends to join. And uh, this has created uh, such a positive energy that uh, is really giving me a lot of strength. Uh, so I feel all the love not only from strangers, but also all the members of family and friends who have been involved in this campaign. So that's that's very important to receive that love. That's the positive side. I, 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 I was Absolutely. always I, I was also talking about consoling others who are who are saying, "Oh my God, what's happening to you? How I and you and you end up being the one calming them down." You know exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you are so so balanced. I mean, you you deliver this information with calm and a measured tone. One would think that you're a doctor. Um, do you, <laughs> I, I mean, I I I I think it's uh, you know. Do you do you think that? I, I've got to imagine it's a double-edged sword that because you're a, a medical professional, you kind of have a better sense of what's happening to you than others would. But I don't know if that's a a good thing or a bad thing. Do you think that the fact you're a doctor helps you? Actually, uh, in my particular case, because of my very complicated medical history, I think my being a physician as for simply transfer of information has helped me so many times and probably saved my life <laughs> quite a number of times here. So uh, at the end of the day, I'm so involved in my, treat my own treatment and discussion with other physicians that I can't even say or imagine what it would look like if I were not a physician. So yes, probably it would be easier on me not being a physician, uh, but knowing how complicated my case is, I'm actually thankful <laughs> I'm a physician. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I think, like I said, um, having fought polio since age four, um, and then the first tumors at age 23, and then second and third tumor now, um, um, one becomes a fighter. One learns how to 
use um, the resources and uh, also uh, the energy that is around him. You know you can do it. You can beat this. I hope so. You know, when I had the first tumor, um, those days, obviously, there was no internet and uh, um, research opportunities were, or researching the data was very limited. But uh, the little bit that I could read, um, I could find out that I have stage four and my chances of survival are about 25%. And my first reaction to that was, wow, I'm going to beat it. There are 25% chances. Mm. (laughs) Uh, This time is a little bit different, obviously, the mortality and also realizing how the world works is added to it, but I'm still very optimistic. You know, you've talked about um, sharing this story and and, um, the the mission you're on for a greater cause. when you, since you have been sharing the stories of cancer patient and, and, and with the with this campaign, what what have you most learned from the response you've received from people, I guess, around the world? Um, it's been overwhelming. It's been overwhelming, but uh, you know, also painful. Um, there's a um, uh, Farsi speaking little video that we put on Instagram. Yes. And uh, within days, about 70,000 people has, have viewed it, and um, close to 400 people have left comments. Unfortunately, a lot of those comments are from Iran in very good hearted people who are asking how they can help. And it breaks my heart to tell them, sorry, you can't help me, but you can't also help um, other Iranians in Iran. Yeah. That, that's been heartbreaking for me. That's crazy. How, how does it make you feel when you hear yourself being described as a warrior? Uh, <laughs> I just I clean up the dust on my shoulders and push my chest around. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you turned into Jay-Z. Look at you. <laughs> I'm, I'm very shy, I have to add. <laughs> Yeah, I know you're a, you're a modest guy. Um, uh, once again, um, so that people, for, for, for the broader cause as, as well as for you, we, we do want this to be about you as well. H- how can people who are listening right now, if somebody were, uh, you know, not on Instagram, right here, right now, if somebody's listening and they say, I, I want to help, I'm ready, I'll do what I have to do, what, what, should, what would be the first thing they should do? So the easiest way is to, um, in every country, to find out what is the uh, most popular or national uh, bone marrow slash stem cell registry. In the United States, it happens to be bethematch.org. And in Canada, it happens to be blood.ca. So they go to that website and they find the place to register to answer some questions. And then after registering, they... Um, wait until a kit is sent to them. So the kit has some swabs where they um, rub it on the gum so that samples of the uh, gum lining cells are collected. They send it to that address and uh, the HLA type would be added to the, uh, to the database. That's basically all they have to do. And then in the if future searches are done, and if they should be by any chance a candidate, then they will be contacted. So there's really nothing more to it except of finding the websites and registering with them. 
Well, um, Dr. Shahin Nuri, uh, we're proud of you. Uh, it's uh, you're every bit as uh, sweet and uh, generous uh, to speak to as as I've been told for a long time. And I, I thank you for doing this today. Um, we're thinking of you and uh, spreading the word. And and um, I'm more than hopeful that we can find this uh, these stem cells for you. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me, and also echoing our uh, voice. Take care. Talk to you, I hope, soon. Hope so. Thank you. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye. Dr. Shaheen Nouri, neurologist, founder and director of the Comprehensive Epilepsy Center at the New York Presbyterian Brooklyn Methodist Hospital. Dr. Shaheen Nouri joined us from New York City today. Microphone's back on for Groovy Shia, Captain Reza, and the fabulous Keon. Um, well, let's. We got to roll up our sleeves and do this, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You got to get to work on this uh, stem cell issue. I said it before the interview. I said it during the interview just now, and I, I'll say it again. I mean, it it is heartbreaking. Uh, it is tragic to me that. Uh, we don't have that the infrastructure doesn't exist in Iran and and even outside of it that that we're bereft of proper representation in uh, stem cell banks. Hey, um, Dr. Shahim was saying there maybe it's cultural. Like who mm-hmm. you know, if it is, it's it's something that we should uh, correct. You know, yeah, culturally, absolutely. because uh, I really want to help him yeah, and others sure. in his position. Right? Yeah, and it's not too hard to like I said before. I, it's just a quick um, swab test that they do, and then you're in the system. And you've done it. I think right? I've done it yeah. before. Yeah, it lasts. I think for five years you're in the system, and yeah. they give you a call when uh, when you match up with someone. Yeah. So it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that too. It's the same process. Very simple. You're in the, and then they every now and again they send you newsletters of people who've successfully done that. I would like to ask our listeners, mm-hmm. our fans, to share this content. To share, we're gonna put rook moments and important points f- throughout the interview. Um, not because we're well, one of the reasons we're going to do that is because to raise awareness about this very important cause and issue and yeah. uh, the more you, you guys can sh- share this with friends family uh, and join just simply go on the website and register yeah yeah well said well you said could save a life literally yeah. by yep. doing this. yeah we literally, literally save a life and uh, you know he is uh, uh I mean, it was a weird interview to go into to, to doing. I mean, I was looking forward to it because I wanted yeah. to talk to him. But, y- you know, on the one hand, this is somebody who's been um, given an ending date mm-hmm. by, by other doctors. And on the other hand, um, I love his strength. And, uh, and and you can feel talking to him that he wants, you know, he has to stay positive and, and as he should and focus on the solutions and... Yeah. and uh, I was, you know, trying to ask him how it feels to be him right yeah. now, but also to to um, support his positive thinking, which I think is merited. Let's let's figure this out. Let's do it. He's a fighter. It was a beautiful thing when he said, you know, I I had polio when I was four years old. I've I've been doing this all my life, figuring this stuff out. You know, uh, and uh, good for him, man. Good for him. It's an inspiration. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and uh, there was also a, a hashtag uh, uh, hope for Shaheen on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I think That's we're right. going to use yeah. that hashtag too on when we post the content. That's right. right. 
so people can learn more about it. But what the story when I, I, I wish he would have elaborated more on that story when he was talking about him being inspired to become a medical doctor because his dad was a doctor and he would go to the village um, nearby or whatever to, to treat patients. Yes. <laughs> and he said, well, back then there was no patient co- doctor confidentiality, really. There was no privacy law, so I would just go along. And He'd find just out bring his kid along with <laughs> him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was so interesting. And yeah. then he made him interested to become a medical doctor, and here he is. Yeah. But his his strength and 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 honestly and and courage is is admirable. Yeah. Yeah. Positivity. 100%. I sensed his positivity over your interview. It was just. Yeah. Like yeah. I my God, I good like what to say? I I, I don't. <laughs> well, it's admirable. He, 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 you know, you gotta you gotta th- be positive. I mean, you gotta yeah. think. You know, he is. Uh, as he said, I mean, he's a, I, knowing some folks that know him. I know that he's a very modest man, and mm-hmm. and was even tentative about wanting to do this campaign, but realized that this is going to spread the word for for a general issue that we need to deal with that is related to what he's dealing with right now. So, um, yeah, thank you to Dr. Shahi Nuri for all he's doing around this issue, and for. Uh, the group of friends from the Adventist school back in uh, yeah. Tehran <laughs> who are um, helping to to promote this uh, this campaign and Shaheen's cause and who introduced uh, this issue to us and and yeah uh, I just looked it up the Adventist I didn't know that it was a minority uh, from Christianity I mean you've never heard that the no, Seventh Day Adventists no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah so I I've learned something yeah. Hmm. Well, that's great, <laughs> Shaya. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, it's Monday. It's time for Letters of the Week. Aww. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A little off this time, guys, but yeah, next time we'll I get it. I was trying to syncopate. <laughs> I was trying to syncopate. Next time. All right. What so do you got, Keon? What's in the what's in the the, the, the letters still come in a bag? They come in a bag. Yeah, yes, and you I hold, prepare like you Santa put your Claus. hand into the bag of I letters. I pull it up. <laughs> I wish they would. Remember the old days? Yeah. Well, actually, you guys don't. The mailman but, uh, yeah. you used to put a stamp on a piece of paper and oh, an yeah. envelope. I tried that once. That. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So over the weekend, we posted a Rook Funny um, where we discussed the puzzle of Persian pizza. Do, That's you like right. To if you want to see the Rook funnies uh you can go to our website they're there at rookmedia.com uh the rook funnies with this uh, third one i think we've posted now mm-hmm. funny moments from our show or conversations we also put them on instagram um but uh yeah this one was be- i guess from i guess in last november or something where i really hadn't encountered all of the uh culture <laughs> around uh persian pizza and the fact that you know a Persian pizza. You order a Persian pizza. It comes with a, a bag full of cheap ketchup that you're supposed to pour on top of, smother the pizza with to give it some flavor. Um, so, yes, this led to uh, an interesting conversation at the time, which has now been posted and is creating more conversation. Yes, and here we go. So we have a Hani Aryan. She wrote, I've wondered the same thing for about 16 years now. Persian eateries won't even offer you hot sauce packs. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that, that, that this is another one of those things that's the, the divide between those who've come recently 
and those who've because uh, Rana Mansour texted me. I guess she heard it. Okay. It was like, Same thing. I I didn't. I never get it either. Why are they putting ketchup on? You know, she grew up in the states, right? I grew right. up in England and Canada. Yeah. But these guys, you know, the guys yeah. who came, uh, you know, Paddy Roos, as home. You know, they. Uh, but you know, I've visited <laughs> Iran, and it's part of my palate too. So I I love Persian pizza with with, with ketchup, ketchup on it with oh on with it and the margarine whatever that is the the, what is it? The no, yes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> No, I can do miracle that whip and the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> miracle whip, <laughs> like mayo, <laughs> ranch sauce. Well, have uh, you ever had miracle whip? No, no, it's no. like a sugary version of mayonnaise Ew. that Ew. supposedly it's supposed to be good for you know healthier. But yeah, they, that's what they, they give you: mayonnaise and ketchup. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why even bother with the pizza? Yeah, Just get a piece of dough and put <laughs> and dip it in so the much mayo and ketchup on it. You can't taste the pizza. Pizza anyway, I I remember you. I recall you were devouring the pizza with the ketchup on it. If I'm not mistaken, that I don't is know, I incorrect. Feel like you're, you're I was devouring it. First of all, I am a I'm a human vacuum cleaner. I eat a lot, <laughs> so whatever you put in front of me, I will eat. And I do like pizza, but no, I, I avoided the, uh, the ketchup, the, the name brand ketchup, whatever that was, the cheap. Wasn't remember I even said this on the Rook Funny, but it's not even good ketchup. They give you the, a bag of like, <laughs> yeah. you know, lower end basic ketchup. low well, end ketchup. Yeah. Well, Camelia Zade will disagree. She says it's delicious on every cuisine. Camelia Zade. And I'm right. assuming every she's referring cuisine. to ketchup. Uh, that I don't agree with. Spaghetti. Oh, I've seen people put ketchup on spaghetti. Oh yeah, they put Try it in that? Persian macaroni spaghetti. Oh, you God. make ma- Persian Iranian macaroni. I dare someone. I it. dare Ooh. someone There's to no ask. You mean macaroni and cheese or no, no, macaroni no, no, no. pasta? Just, have you ever yeah. had Iranian pasta? No. Does it have okay. a lot of ketchup on it? on it and they, mayonnaise? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Ew. No mayonnaise. No. I don't. Know I think why I've had Iranian. Pa- What's Iranian pasta? It's just it's, pasta. They cook it differently. They actually like they cook it the way we cook rice. Yeah, you yeah. like dam, put dam kish on it. it oh. Have you very had thick. spaghetti taddy? Oh, uh, no? yes. Okay. Yes, I've had spaghetti taddy. Yeah, but yeah, not with, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've so, seen people add ketchup. Yeah, put ketchup on it. They put ketchup oh, on God. it. Oh, God. Wow. Try asking for ketchup at an Italian one. restaurant. Just, I like, I would love for someone to do oh, that. Oh, they punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> they kick out. Italian restaurant, ketchup? No, no, no. no, uh, no. Well, and then we have a Shiva Razine. Says, I agree with you, Gian. No ketchup for me. Thank you, Shiva. There you go. We're gonna Someone have to get some T-shirts side. made. Yeah. <laughs> no ketchup for me. Yeah. And then we have a Afshin wrote, taste buds adapt to the environment. I didn't like Canadian in brackets non-Iranian pizza when I moved to Canada. I just kept asking myself, why do they add robegoje, meaning uh, tomato paste, to their pizza? Hmm. Now Persian pizza tastes dry and out of place for me. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's interesting. Well, Robert Roger Fangi. Yeah. <laughs> to each their own. All right. Thank you, Afshin. All right. What uh, else you got, Keon? As well, last week on episode 121, we had the very funny comedian, commentator, and podcast host, Sahar Golshani, yes. on the show. Mm-hmm. So we have a Tanoz Barati wrote, Love Sahar. Thanks for this great episode. Mm hmm. And then we have username North Targaryen. Interesting uh, username. Yeah. Wrote Actually, Sahar talked about Daenerys Tar- yeah, Targaryen. Yeah, yeah. On the oh, episode. yeah, that's right. Yeah. She did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he or she, this username wrote, You are awesome, both of you. Such a refreshing interview. It felt so authentic to me. That's nice. Thank you, North Targaryen. <laughs> and all of your Game of Thrones friends. <laughs> and then we have Zoya Catuli wrote, Such a talented girl. 
She's right. Iranian people live a double life in Iran because of the situation they're in. I don't want to judge them. This is the only way they can survive, to live a double life. Very true. Okay. And then Omid Ferdosi wrote, This is uncomfortable. I understand what she's trying to get at. We have to call out the generational issues in our society, but it all feels really intense and overly negative. Hmm. Mm. Perspective? Well, yeah, some people might... I got a couple of comments like that. Although this guy's name is Omid Ferdosi. You'd think that he'd be a... Really positive about it. You know? <laughs> well, oh, yeah, what's what's right. in a name? Hope, hope fair to see. <laughs> All right, I didn't, I didn't make that connection. I was like, where are you going with this? Like the poet fair to see. Well, I'll meet. I'll meet you know? yeah. yeah. But uh, all right. not this time. And then we have a Damien Moradam wrote, "It's a great pleasure to listen to Rook Podcast Channel each week with phenomenal guests. Thank you. You guys rock." Wow. Letter of the week, right there. No, but letter of the week. <laughs> How is <right>. dare you, <laughs> Damien Moradam? You have my letter of the week, yeah, buddy. That All right, you one. spoke too soon because it's time for the letter of the week. Oh! Woo! All right, this week's letter of the week goes to username Setare Art. I'm assuming she's an artist. She wrote, "All my respect for Sahar and Gian. You always feature the best conversations as usual. Sahar, you're most beautiful first and foremost inside, and mashallah on the outside." You're like candy, meaning like shirini, you're shirin. Also, love the last part with Kion's story. Love you guys. Great job and kudos to your team. Ah, thank you, Setara Art. And uh, the last part with Kion. <laughs> so that was our, our um, it's all Persian to us. Right. Yeah. Man, we got to put that. I, if there's anyone listening who didn't listen to our last episode with Sahar Goshani or who did listen to it and didn't get to the end where we do the yeah. It's All Persian to Us, that might have been, I mean, I think that's my favorite episode. It's, it's that, my that, favorite. Or that yeah. favorite edition of It's All Persian that's to right. Us. That's right, it's my favorite it too. It's just, it's just unbelievable. I was listening to it with a friend that night again, <laughs> listening back and we were just crying laughing yeah. because of uh, just how stupid your story was <laughs> with the Persian swinging the history. Here we go. This is history. I sw- oh my! What do I need to do to prove this? I'm gonna call up my historian and friends. And then the Persians brought swinging cats to the Egyptians. Kiam, why, why do you have an English accent? And then the sire of the Egyptian. <laughs> <laughs> In case you guys didn't listen, uh, so the Persian army used uh, cats as a line of defense against the Egyptians, and I swear yeah. this is that true. That one thing may be true, historically. The rest you made up. Which part did I make oh, up? Oh, the, they, they were running around in high heels swinging cats okay. Imagine against the, the Egyptian army. That's how we beat the Egyptian yeah, army, folks. Exactly. Swinging there's, cats. There's actually depictions of this. this one, <laughs> yeah. And they're swinging cats. By cartoonists. No, <laughs> Shia, somebody help me out. Somebody There's look no into photographs this. from thousands of years ago. There is. There's evidence. Azizam. There was fur everywhere. Uh, the fabulous uh. Keon Captain Reza Groovy Shia. We'll see you in a couple of days for Canada Day with Dr. Reza Moridi joining us. This is full time for Rook for today. Thank you all so much for listening. Remember, hashtag hope for Shaheen. And uh, go to those links that we uh, put on our descriptors for this program if you haven't already. Um, and help with this stem cell cause for, especially for people of Middle Eastern and Iranian background. For all things Rook, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com, where you can become a patron of our show. We would really uh, appreciate that. Uh, Go to the part that says support us. 
and you can become a patron for five or ten dollars a month thanks to the amazing team who put this show together producer susan ponce of the artist thoughtful Nagin, the fabulous keon super parisa savvy roham ahai Merdad, sponsorship sean captain reza groovy shy you can find me on instagram at gian gomeshi mizun bashi 